century number 10 for Brendan Taylor. He's got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada. We're talking about how good he is. And there it is. It's 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Go on, take it. Deep mid-wicket. Glenn Maxwell celebrates. Rick Coley cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello and a very warm welcome to this edition of the Dean at Stumps podcast with me, Dean Duplessis. Great to be with you as per normal. And as I like to do at the top of every show, just a reminder to those listening for the first time, you may be in the company of somebody playing you the podcast and perhaps you don't quite know how to subscribe. Well, it's very simple. All you do is you go to your preferred podcast app, so your Apple Podcast, Spotify, Overcast, Google, any one of those. You search for Dean at Stumps, that is at as an A-T, not the email sign, at, not the at sign. And then you subscribe and you listen to some very, very good interviews. There's uh, all sorts of a mix and match of current and former players. Well, in this week's edition, we catch up with uh, one of uh, Zimbabwe's most attractive batsmen at the top of the order, and albeit that he didn't necessarily deliver in terms of, if you look at his average, if you look at his general statistics, you probably may want to disagree. But if you looked at him on the eye, he was very pleasing to watch. Tall, elegant, and timed the ball beautifully. He wasn't afraid to hit the very first ball of a test match through the covers for four, if it was a half volley, and he didn't mind hooking and pulling either. I'm, of course, referring to former top-order batsman Vusi Muzi Sibanda. Vusi Sibanda currently finds himself stuck in Canberra, Australia, naturally due to the COVID-19 pandemic that struck in January, and uh, he was there doing a little bit of coaching. So uh, I caught up with Vusi Sibanda, and uh, first of all, started off by asking him, what on earth he was actually doing in Australia at the time? Um, well, mate, uh, you know, just wandering around the world, I would say, <laughs> or what would I just say? But um, you know, I came, I came out here in January, I think, straight after the Bangladesh um, BPL stint that I had doing the commentary there, and um, shot to Australia for um, some bit of work that I needed to do out here, and that was meant to be for like a month, no, actually. Three months, I think it was, and unfortunately, at the time, uh, I was meant to fly back home. I couldn't, um, um, but the you know the COVID yeah. um, hit, you know, and um, all the international borders got shut down, and I uh, found myself stuck here in Canberra. So, yeah, and I'm still out here, you know. And fortunately enough, you know, I'm still doing what I love doing, so which is being involved in cricket. Um, with cricket ACT, so which is pretty good, you know, um, just giving back into cricket. So I kind of enjoy it at the same time. Yes, you know, it's, um, you know, going through tough times, unprecedented times um, that we're all facing, that the world is facing, and um, it's unfortunate that we are going through this. But, I mean, who would have thought? It's rather unfortunate. But, yeah, um, yeah, that's what I'm doing in Australia, and that's why I'm here. Um the plan was to come here, come out here, do a bit of work, come back home, and you know who knows uh, where I was going to go from then. But um, yeah, I found myself in Australia. You, Since then, I'm still here. 
you lucky fish. So uh, tell me no, that away. <laughs> lucky fish. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> so, so what is ACT? Tell, tell, tell the listener a bit more about ACT. Um, so ACT is the Australian Capital Territory, right? And um, it's, it, it is a state on its own for Australia. And um, it is the capital, so which is Canberra. Yeah, that's where I am. Um, it's a pretty. Um, it's only about what people know. If you talk to just in general anybody, you'd ask, uh, "What is the capital city of Australia?" I think even myself when I was growing up, I've always thought that Sydney was uh, the capital yeah, of Australia, yeah. but it's not. Canberra is. Canberra and is. Canberra, um, which is ACT, it's only what a two and a half drive from here to Sydney. Um, so we're not far apart anyway. So it's everything that happens there kind of like feeds into Sydney or vice versa. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I remember certainly used, used to be the ACT Brumbies uh, in, in the Super Rugby as well, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, so mm-hmm. there you are. Um, Vusi, all right, so before we get into the, the meat and potatoes, let me ask you this, this lighthearted question. I remember back in 2013, uh, in the very beginning of 2013, Zimbabwe embarked on a tour of the West Indies, which consisted of two test matches and three one-day internationals. But something rather bizarre mm-hmm. happened between you and your very good friend and former opening batsman, partner in crime, Tino Tenda Maoyo, you two <laughs> missed. <I don't>. <laughs> <laughs> you missed the aeroplane. Yeah. Tell us all about it, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, myself and Tino missed the aeroplane. Yeah, there's all various stories that comes out of that one. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what actually happened, and I'll try and be as honest as I possibly can. Please do. So, yeah. and I'm pretty sure Tino Maoyo would one day listen to this, and you think, oh, okay, we'll see, I think you were lying at that, but um. My version of the story is, which is true, is that, um, so as you know, flying to um, to the Caribbean islands, uh, there's no flights out of Zimbabwe. So we had to fly through Joburg, Joburg, Heathrow, and then Heathrow to um, Grenada. Right. Um, yeah. So... So we get we fly out of Ferrari. We we get to Joburg and Joburg. I just thought I was going to go out uh, the airport for um, a couple of drinks, uh-huh. you know, with my friends who I was going to see at the airport. I just outside. Um, so so we get there and I and I got out and I went outside to you know sit down and have some lunch and have a couple of drinks with my mates just to catch up. And um, I didn't even plan on seeing Tino. And then I just saw Tino behind me. And I thought, oh, where are you going? And he goes, oh, no, I'm just going to see one of my mates. And I thought, oh, okay, cool. And it so happened that we were going at the same spot, uh, <laughs> same um, for luncheon. Right. right. So we sat down, had, a, had our food, and then we had a couple of drinks. And uh, we were actually sitting, the restaurant that we were sitting at was right next to the check-in desk. I know the one very right. well. Right. Yeah, so so we're sitting there having a couple of coffee, uh, food, and then we decided, okay, let's have a couple of beers, mm-hmm. right? And then we had a couple of beers, and then Tino was like, um, yeah, let's have another one. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And um, looking at the time, time was moving pretty quick, as you would know, when you have a fun time flies. <laughs> and it just so happened that um, I looked at the time, and I thought, okay, we need to pay our bill. So we can go. And then Tina's like, oh, okay, fine, sure. Let's, let's call the waiter. The waiter came with the bill. In fact, not with the bill. We, we requested for us to get a bill. And the bill took about 20 to 30 minutes to come. And we thought, oh, right, this is not good. 
Right. By the time the bill came, we paid, and then we tried. We then took off, and we we were only left with about thirty minutes to get to um, to the gate. Mm. But we were outside the immigration. We were like inside South Africa at the time. Then, so behind, um, we had to check through the immigration, and we walked through the the check in desk uh, by the immigration. And then the lad says, oh, "Sorry, you guys, you can't go in. Gates are closed." And we looked at each other, we, like, we looked at him, and we go, no, you're joking. And he goes, yes, I'm serious, gates are closed. Um, you're going to have to uh, wait and see if somebody misses the flight or um, is late or something like that, and then they can call you in. And um, so we're just standing there, and I, we were getting angry. And I thought, no, this is not happening. And then the guy goes, sorry, guys, uh, flight's full. Um, sorry, and you can't go in. But we could hear on the... Um, you know, um, the calling out that our names are being called out, and we thought, no, let's just use that as an as, as an advantage so we could walk in. And the guy was very adamant that no, you can't go through. And by then, I, I was fuming. I was so angry, and Tino was just you know angry as well at the same time. But there was not a lot we could have done, yeah. so we couldn't check in. And um, and then the guy said. Uh, uh, fortunately, there is another plane leaving 40 minutes later. You, if you're lucky enough, you might get a seat in that. And then we thought, oh, okay, we don't really have a chance. And <laughs> so we waited, and uh, 20 minutes later, the guy said, okay, fine, you guys can come through and everything else. So we checked in, and we went right through. So we knew that we missed our flight. And then we get to the gate, same, pretty much the same gate, um, and then we got told, oh, no, the flight that we were meant to be in was delayed. Oh. So, yeah, so then we thought, okay, so we've missed the flight. We might still be able to catch them in, in uh, at Heathrow Airport. And then the guys were like, yeah, sure, you will have time. I'm pretty sure um, they will be waiting for you anyway if somebody is to let them know that you're just behind them. So, anyway, we got, we got onto the other flights. We're now separate from the team, and it's just myself and Tina on the other flight to Heathrow. And off we went. So we get to Heathrow Airport, and again, um, we got there a little bit late. So we were just behind the team. And unfortunately, when we got to Heathrow Airport, it was jam-packed. <laughs> And we just could not go through in time. We asked for assistance and nothing. We just could not get any, ass- any assistance to go through the immigration. And um, by the time we went through, we just missed the bus again the, for, for the team. Um, that, well, the team was um, on a bus from Heathrow to Gatwick Airport. Right. Right, yeah, right. so which is like 30 minutes drive or something like that. I'm not quite sure. And for us to wait for another bus it would have been another 25 minutes and we thought no this is not happening no so we were just missing every single (laughs) opportunity to be with the team from the word go um and so that's how we missed the flight uh and the rest is all history from there and from there on but it was just a nightmare um yeah, having missed the, missing the flight just because we decided to go outside for a drink for a couple of drinks and um, yeah, one one drink too many led us to missing the flight. Well, I would imagine yeah. that the I would imagine that the the uh, the powers that be, the coaching staff and management of Zimbabwe cricket, would not have been very happy with you. But 
he was then able no, to. No, they were not happy. No, I, not I, happy. I, 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 I think I think their coach was um, Alan Butcher. Was Alan Butcher. Butcher, yes. And uh, he wanted to send us back home. Brandon Taylor was the captain at the time, I believe. Um, I think. Yes, that's correct. Um, yeah, and um, I think Brandon Taylor actually stood up for us, and he goes, "Well, well, you can't send them back. At least find them." Yeah. Um, you know, um, and we got fined. a hefty fine as well. I think it was like um, five hundred dollars or something like that. Ouch! Each um, was it five hundred each? each? Ouch! Yeah, five hundred dollars each. <laughs> yeah. So, so we lost we lost five hundred dollars each from our allowances, and we thought, oh, okay, well, at least we're here, <laughs> and we weren't allowed to do to join the team the first week. Right, right. So yeah, we just stayed at the hotel. Yeah. But 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 so you then nice. but you then reprieved yourself. Uh, well, you you then got some sort of a reprieval uh, in a, in the warm up game because you had quite a fantastic innings. Unfortunately, your your slight misunderstanding with Tino continued because you ran Tino out. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we always. I mean, Tino is a good partner. He was he was a good partner of mine uh, batting together. We've we've had some good innings together at the same time. But those things do. Have happen yeah um yeah it was just a miscommunication at the time uh, which was rather unfortunate so miscommunications at the restaurant uh, or pub area miscommunications with the runoffs <laughs> but you went to play very good innings do you remember much of that warm-up innings do you remember was it a, was it a very good hundred that you got what uh, can you remember much about that innings Yes, I do. I do remember. Uh, I think it was um, against the university side. I think it was or um, President's Eleven. I think it was. Yeah. And um, it, it was um, it was a good innings, and it was more like a free spirit game, and I, I just more like fearless cricket that I just played, and yeah, and everything just sort of like clicked together. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, so yeah, I was just glad that you know after having you know kicked off the tour on a, not not so much on a good note, <laughs> missing the flights and everybody, and you left you left the team down. You know, um, it, it was just wasn't easy, and also wanting to make an impact straight away. So but that in itself was actually a good start. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, I love the word that you used, fearless. Uh, pretty much throughout your career. Vusi, you played a, a relatively fearless brand of cricket. Well, I always found that initially you would get off to very good starts. Um, and then as you neared a landmark, so for example, when you got to your 50, when you were approaching your 50, when you were then approaching your 100, you then seemed to slow down quite a bit. Uh, do you sometimes feel that perhaps that led to you not always scoring the amount of runs that you would have liked to have done throughout your career? Um. Yes and no, right. I would say. Um, I would say yes. It, it, it led me not to um, achieve the amount of runs that I would have wanted to achieve. Um, but having said that, I would, I would say that um, at the time, I was more like a very much confident batsman. And when I was out there playing batting, I, I enjoyed the pressure. I enjoyed... Um, you know, the thrill of, you know, being under pressure. And yeah, I used to thrive on that. And in all honesty, yes, when I get to 40s and everything else, I was never a big fan of looking at the scoreboard. And because I believe numbers will put me under pressure. So that in itself might also have played uh, a bigger role to my disadvantage. Because if I had known, I mean, it, it, it sometimes it's it doesn't sound right when you say, 
uh, done. I, I never used to look at the scoreboard much. Yeah. You know, and just the numbers will start playing in my head. Oh, I'm 10 off or I'm 10 off 90 or I'm 10 off 100. I'm, you know, 10 off 50 or something like that. And then I start to feel the pressure and, you know, which could lead, lead to um, a silly shot or something like that. Um, so I try by all means not to look at the scoreboard and just play accordingly. So that's why at times it was more free flow. Uh, carefree batting that I just did. Um, I mean, yes, I would have loved to be a bit more um, circumspect in terms of my scoring options or, you know, up the tempo, slow the tempo down, um, control the game a little bit more, um, which would be of um, a good benefit to the team. But, yeah, when when I did it, when I scored well and gave the team a good start, we played well as a unit. Yes. And when I didn't, it, it always felt I've let the team down um, in that regard. So yeah, I mean, if you if you to be a little bit more critical, yes, it may have looked turned out to be um, I let myself down. But um, also in hindsight, I, I think thinking more of the team than myself. Um, didn't play as well as I would have liked to. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I, I would just carry on playing, not thinking of my scores, but thinking of the ultimate score. Yeah, because I, I always felt mm. that, you know, you you, um, you, you you became a bit circumspect, maybe even a bit too circumspect when you did sort of approach your mm. 50 or when you knew that you were maybe in, in unfamiliar territory, territory like 80 or 90, then suddenly you would maybe, because as you've just correctly said, on the odd occasion when you did look at the scoreboard, then you, you thought, uh-oh, I better make sure that I do this properly for the team and not get out. So then you'd end up maybe just gently nicking off to the keeper or you know something like that. Whereas had you maybe just continued to play the, in the Vusisi Banda style that we know, which was pretty much hitting half volleys through the covers, pulling in front of square, whipping the ball back out of square, cutting hard back out of point. Um, you, you possibly, had you just been yourself throughout your innings, that maybe you would have, you would have got those, those three figures on, on a more regular basis, if that makes sense. Hmm. Uh, look, I, I think it's one of those things that will also come with time and uh, experience as you play. Um, one of the things that I, I, I without you know, justifying my performance at yeah, all, or yeah. rather mediocre performance as a unit, um, as an individual, um, one would say. Um, if you don't get to play games consistently, um, it's very difficult to see your graph going up. It's very difficult for you to see your game improving if you get a longer breaks in between. So, I mean, you know, honestly, we, we would play how many games in a year? You know, it's a handful of games yeah. in a year. So it's very difficult to, um, yes, you may understand your game, but to see yourself moving from one step to the next, to the other, going upwards, um, it, there's less upwards and more downwards. Yeah. In that regard. So, I mean, if there was consistency in the games, you'd find that we'd actually understand our game a lot faster and look to improve a lot faster at the same time. Not only for my sake as an individual, but I would say this would have gone in, in on a team um, perspective. I would say that um, you'd find that we'll do a lot better by playing consistently, but having not playing more games consistently 
you know, it's very difficult. Um, I mean, if you look at my career, what over, well, I made my debut when I was, what? 20. 20, yes. 19, 20, yeah. yeah. And being being part of it over two decades and having only played 120-odd ODI games in 22 test match in 20 years. That's not a lot of cricket, really, is it? That's not a lot of cricket. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that, that just says it all. So, I mean, it's it kind of like um, played, you know, um, a negative side of things yeah. uh, in my game in the sense that, you know, to cross over that line where you're scoring consistently um, game after game and, you know, your performance is very well recognised, it's... It's a bit difficult. So you will get an order to players that will come out of that and, you know, um, and do well. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's tough when you don't get to play more games. It's tough. Vusi, where did you prefer batting? So, obviously, as you said, you made your debut, your international debut. I mean, we saw you before that. I remember you playing against the Australian Academy side. What was that? It would have been late as a very youngster, you know, 1999, so you'd have mm. been about 16, 17, round about there. But your international debut, you, you debuted against the West Indies in 2003 uh, alongside Stewie Matsikaneri, who also debuted then. What, uh, where did you prefer? I mean, I've seen you open the batting. I've seen you bat at number three, number four. I've even seen you bat at number six as well. Did the, uh, did the uh, inconsistency of where you batted, did that affect you? Um, I wouldn't say so, to be honest, uh, because I was more of a tolerant. Well, I used to tolerate the team's tactical um, plans. Um, opening the batting for me, I found was something that I enjoyed um, because I, I always used to sit around and you know, and I couldn't wait to go out there and and play. So I, I preferred opening the batting most of my career. Uh, when I batted three or four, um, yes, it felt like there was not much difference um, because most times I would actually walk into bathroom in, you know, in less than 10 overs. Yeah, yeah. And it's still doing quite a bit early on anyway. So it felt, it just, it just the fact that I've come in a little bit later was the only difference. But the intensity and... Uh, what I was facing at the time didn't feel like there was a lot different to taking the first ball or the second ball of the game. Um, it felt the same. So I, I wouldn't say it affected me. Um, it affected my performance, as per se. But one thing I would say, though, if um, if I remember correct, even in the first class, um, if I look at their stats, I think I've, I've scored more runs batting a four than I did opening a batting, I think. Yes, that's correct. Um, that's quite right, yeah. And uh, and I think my average batting a four is uh, is remarkable at the same time. So um, in a way, if I'm to look at numbers, I would say batting a four. <laughs> yeah, that makes um, sense because did you uh, do you remember the 2009-10 uh, series when you broke Grant Flowers' record uh, by scoring yeah. the most runs in the Logan Cup, which had included a staggering nine hundreds? I mean, that was just sensational stuff. And every one of those was he was batting a number four. You also scored a hundred and a double hundred against Kenya yeah. when when in the um, what were those games called? The um, uh, represent the Ica Cup, I think. Yes, that's correct. That's yeah. correct. As we yeah, were trying Ica to Cup, yeah. yes, that's <clears throat> correct. Trying to get back to playing Test cricket again. So definitely in two thousand and nine, number four, you seem <clears throat> to have that <clears throat> as you like. 
like to refer to it as the Midas touch? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, it, it just felt it, it felt a lot easier. Um, for me, I would say there was less pressure, um, I think, running at number four. As to opening the batting, you've got to set the tone for the team. You've got to start well, build the innings, and the team can actually rely on how you start as to where it's all going. Or, you know, so your your response early on sort of like determines what, what could possibly happen. Not that it will happen, but mm. there is a slight chance that what they see or how you play kind of like feeds back into the next person or the team, you know, the guys that are sitting out. I mean, the same, the old cliche is, um, you know, it's never easy for the next guy coming in, but if if I'm playing at ease, you know, it kind of like sends a relaxing message in the change room that, okay, fine, Fussy's finding it all right, so it's okay, it's doable. Maybe the target that we're looking at, we can revise that to that, blah, 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 and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in a way, um, opening the batting, it's, there is more pressure. It's, a, it's, a, it's the toughest job in cricket, I would say. Um, so he's opening the bowling one would actually say. Yeah. But I reckon opening the batting is actually the toughest job in cricket. Um, but at the same time, I enjoy batting uh, opening the batting. Um, number four, uh, yeah, I would say that when you look at the numbers, yeah, it felt, as I said, um, it felt a lot easier because there was less pressure, especially in the longer version. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, take us back to mm. that. Uh, we just briefly touched on it just now when the young Australian Academy were out here just before Zimbabwe embarked. Uh, on to the World Cup in 1999. Not many people know that you were a part of that team because you were still so young, but you actually got to play against the Australian Academy and you actually faced Brett Lee when he was still raw yeah. and when he was all over the place, but <laughs> very, very quick. Tell us the experience of facing Brett Lee, who would have probably have been, in all honesty, 20 kilometers an hour quicker than you know anybody you would have faced here in Zimbabwe. Um. Yes, I was very young at the time, and I had no idea um, what I was going, getting myself into. Never had I, have I had I faced you know that much pace in my life. Um, so he, when I yeah when I played, I, I do remember um, I just had no clue, and I was so scared, mm. and I didn't you know I just went out there and just decided to free myself, and I just expressed myself the best way I possibly could. Um, I was. It was just a good experience uh, on its own to be on the field to start with and to play against Australia. That's what I was more um, happy about uh, to be part of the whole setup and the whole team and everything else. And I was only there to learn, um, which was a good thing. But it's what happened after that, right? After I faced them, and and then when I. When I then came to Australia in 2003, I think it was, 2004 for the VBCs? Uh, 2000, uh, yes, it is January 2004, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. so it was what happened then. So I thought, oh, okay, now I've got this and everything else, and, and I thought, okay, fine, um, it should be a breeze, fine, but believe me, it was even worse. He, they were a lot quicker than what I had actually seen back home uh, a couple of years back and it was horrible 
to be part of it. Um, and I remember necking off Brett Lee and walking off the field smiling, and I thought, oh, okay, this, this happened. I had no clue again. So, I mean, it was a shock to the system. I remember taking my guard um, before I faced the first ball, actually, and and I looked back and Gilchrist was miles away, and I thought, is he really bowling that quick? And immediately, as a young kid again, I just started shaking, and I thought, oh, okay, fine. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. And I think I, I think I, I was opening the batting with Stuart Kalal at the time. And first ball, I took the first ball, and I, I, I went back and, and I dropped it right in front, in front of me, just tucked it onto the leg side, easy one run, called yes, and he sent, he sent me back. And I'm thinking, oh. no, you did not. You know, and I was, you know, because I was so scared and I, I just wanted to get off the strike, get, you know, get the nerves out of the way. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, that, uh, that game, I didn't last very long. I think uh, I must have lasted like five overs or something like that. But, I felt more relieved walking off the field, put it that way. That's how quick he was bowling. Take us back to when it all started from an international perspective. You know, we, we obviously know that you made your way up through the ranks, uh, you know, from a high field perspective and the wonderful people you would have met along the way. And you're more than welcome to pay tribute to them if you so wish. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd like to focus on the West Indies tour of 2003. So you scored a very good half century in the first innings of the warm-up game at Takashinga. And the next thing, you and Trevor Gripper are opening the batting at Harare Sports Club. What was that like? Was there, you know, back in those days, did you get somebody who handed you your first test cap? If so, who was that? And just tell us the feeling of walking out to the middle uh, now playing test cricket. Um, yeah, um, I think it might have been who gave me. I think it was Mr. Chingoka at the time. Wow, Peter Chingoka. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I think it might have been Peter Chingoka who gave me my um, handed over the test cap for me. But I, I do remember clearly um, walking onto the park against West Indies. I mean, just the feeling itself. It is. It is an amazing feeling. It's something you know when you dreaming of something. I've always used to. Because I remember coming from Highfields, um, we always used to catch a bus to go to our sports club, sit on the stands and watching cricket and always dreamt of being on the field, you know. And when that day came, it was, you know, the feeling of it, of itself. I can't exactly explain it, but it was just an amazing feeling that, right, I am here and I'm actually, you know, playing for my country, So, which is um an experience on its own um, and having to face world-class bowlers. I remember Merv Devlin was part of their, their, their team as well. I remember facing him. I remember facing Vaspid Drakes and all of those guys. Um, I just, I was just so excited to be there and, and just wanting to do well. And I remember we did exceptionally well as well. I think we drew that first test. Yes, that's correct. Um, yeah, and just being out there, uh, Streaky was the captain. Um, it, it was just a, an amazing feeling, I would say. Yeah. And the nice thing for you, Vusi, is that you had Stewie Matsukanieri making his test debut. He'd played a couple of one days, but now he's making his test debut as well. Mm-hmm. And then you also had the very experienced yeah. Tatenda Taibu, who all of you were from Highfield. So, you know, mm-hmm. you, well, I'm sure there was one or two others as well. But but I guess the point, well, Blessing Mawira, he would have, would you have been from Highfield as well? Uh, no. No, no, not Blessing, not mm-hmm. Blessing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but anyway, I, I guess um, the point is, you you bunch, you, so you you guys could have fed off each other. So if you were very nervous, you could have consoled each other. If you were doing well, you could have fed off each other. It must have been very nice to have not been, I suppose, thrown to the wolves, so to speak, because you had each other. You grew up together. You played a lot of cricket against each other, and 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 with each other. So I guess that would have been quite comforting as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it, it's. You know, it's a lot easier when you've got your mates with you, to, you know, to pull you up when things aren't really going well. Um, it, it kind of like felt like, you know, you're being thrown into the deep end, but having your mates close to you that you you grew up with, it does make things a lot easier. So, yes, having Stewie next to me and Tatenda is well next to me, it did make life a little bit easier, not that, you know, when you're out there facing one footy clicks and now they would be there, you know, and helping you out. You're on, you're on your own. Um, you know, so, I mean, but having them next to me, um, it was also quite good because we understood each other from way back from junior school all the way up until even today, you know. Um, you know, just being together on that particular day, um, yes, made things a lot easier for me. Well, see, I interviewed David Mutendera uh, about a month or so ago, and he was expressing his uh, th- that it really didn't feel nice when he made his test debut. He felt that, you know, he was of the opinion that black cricketers had to work a lot harder than white cricketers to get into the team. And I'm sure there's a lot of justification as to what he was saying. Um, he also f- didn't feel particularly welcome because he felt that Guy Whittle didn't want him to be playing in the team due to the conditions of Queen's Sports Club and, and so on. It's, it's quite complicated. But anyway, he, didn't, he mm. didn't feel very happy. He didn't feel loved. He didn't feel welcome. Did you have similar feelings with some of the older white players when you made your debut? Um, to be quite frank with you, um, when I made my debut, it was more of a relaxed environment. For me, it was the excitement. So I, if it all happened... I didn't notice it, but what I had seen before uh, my debut to get to where to get to my debut was um, not fun, right? Um, going through the academy, um, what I'd seen during the academy time, what I'd seen at times when I was playing first class cricket, <clears throat> and mind you, I played. I didn't before I made my debut. I'd only played. I don't think I don't think I played more than ten games. Right, right. Um, yeah, I think I played less than ten games um, before I made my debut. So at the time when I made my debut, if it did happen, I might have been naive to actually pick it up um, that there was a bit of um, discrimination, um, and I was really young, and um, I was just excited to be there at the time. Um, so as I said, if it did happen, then if it, um, I, I was kind of naive to actually point it out. But it's what happened prior to that was disturbing in my case, where I felt unwanted. I felt um, the, the some of the words that were being passed on, like I didn't deserve to be there. Um, you know, it was just not nice. But other, what kept me going was just you know the passion for the game and just wanting to do well for myself. You know, um, yeah, it's. Um, I wouldn't say it's because, and also it'll be. 
it'll be a lie for me to say anything else because I didn't get to play a lot with um, the senior guys at the time. Uh, the guy we told him then, um, I played quite a bit with Grant. Yeah. I played quite. I didn't play a lot with Andy. Um, um, I played quite a bit with Streaky, uh, Trevor Gripper, Stuart Kalau. Yeah, I played quite a bit with them. So in my case, to be honest, Dean, I would say, if anything, I was just naive to actually see it as a young kid at the time. Um, I didn't see much of it, in my opinion. Not that it didn't happen, where there was um, the unlikeliness of the next person. It, if it did happen, uh, I would, as I said, I wouldn't have actually pointed out. For me, personally, it's what happened before that was uncomfortable. I was made uncomfortable to get to where I was. Would, would you like to share some of what happened before? T t tell us, if you like, about what <coughs> happened before uh, you, you made your debut. So those academy days, mm. as you were trying to find your feet, like any other white player would do as well. Um, I, I think coming from Highfields, um, at, at the time Zimbabwe Cricket had a program where they were developing the game right around the country and it, it was a good program that they had identifying the talent out there. So we were uh, fortunate that, um, that we got picked from Highfields, you know, a, a group of us, um, myself, Hamilton, Tatenda Taibu, Stuart, Matsikinieri, um, Arnold Rushamboa. There's a whole heap of guys that yeah. got the scholarship to go to Churchill High School. And so from there, we progressed into academy. Um, and then from the academy, I think we might have been the first, no, the second academy side to play in the first class setup in, in the country. Um, and so it was during the time when we were playing first class. Right. And every now and again, uh, I think there was um, days when, because I remember Dave Alton was very supportive of that program, and he actually gave me, you know, he gave me his kit, uh, he gave me his kit to, to play with. Uh, I remember he was using um, Duncan, Duncan Finley, I think. Duncan Finley, yeah, that Dave Houghton, yeah. was it? Yeah. So, and I remember using his gear. Um, and the whole, the right throughout the season um, in my first year at the academy. And I remember getting an invite <clears throat> to go play uh, in Chegutu. Uh, it was a week over the weekend. So it was at a, a, um, a I think it's Salou Sports Club? Yes. Cricket Club or something like that. Yeah. And, um, and Nicole, um, I don't know, if, I don't, know, I don't remember his first name. Nicole, he was the convener of selectors. Then he rang me up and said, "Bussy, would you like to go and play um, a two-day game at um, Salou Sports Club?" Right, and so I said, oh, "Okay, fine, cool. Who else is going?" So it was myself, and um, can't remember who the other guys. I think his son was also part of it. Jordan, Nicole, Jordan, yeah, um, a couple of other um, players. And so anyway, we get there, and at the end of the game, at the end of the day, uh, on a Saturday, because we, we were meant to finish the game, that on, um, we were playing Saturday, Sunday, and we played on a Saturday, and I remember I was made feel uncomfortable, a lot of words were being passed on around, because I was the only one of colour, I was the only black guy that was part of it. Um, in in my team at the time, and I remember at the time, 
end of day, we were meant to stay at various family houses or something like that. I think um, guys had to, you know, pick whoever it is that would actually spend the night at, at his house or at their house. And I remember having dinner at about six, seven-ish, I think it was, and um, and I was waiting to find out where I'm going to sleep. Right. You know, um, there was no accommodation organized. It was all through volunteering um, who was going to accommodate who. And... And I was just waiting, and there was no one for me to, you know, there was no place for me to go and sleep over. And this is way out of town, right, way away from home, and I didn't even know what was going on. And and then at about 2 o'clock in the morning, this guy says to me, okay, fine, I'll take him home with me. Right, and on the way to his house, so I was just like, I was so tired, and I was just in the cold, sitting in the cold. They were having fun drinking their beers and everything else, and um, and I remember on driving to to the to the house, to his house, and I was, I think I must have been seventeen at the time, yeah, and um, and I remember he wanted me to sing these racial discriminating songs oh. which was not nice at all and and I remember clearly in the car and I felt so uncomfortable I felt like just jumping out of the car and he was singing and calling out names saying all sorts of stuff about me about my color and we get to his house it, the drive was like I think it would have been like a ten minute drive, but it felt like an hour. All right, and and it was just abuse on the way to his house. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? How did I even get here? How did I even come here? All right, and then we get to his house. By then, it must have been like three o'clock in the morning, and we were meant to wake up at six, seven o'clock, back, drive back to the to the ground, yeah. get ready for warm-up, finish off the game, and then back to Orale. So anyway, we get to his house, and I was given a room. I just went straight to my room, and then I couldn't sleep. Um, anyway, the sleep was very short, and I was too scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what this guy was capable of actually doing. He didn't want me to be too to go to his house and it was more like he's doing me a favor. He was, he felt disgusted by me being there to start off with. And, and there was a lot of comments that were being passed on. Anyway, the next morning, um, sitting on the breakfast table, I looked at him, I just started shaking and I was just like, no, what am I doing? Yeah, I, you know, I couldn't say a word. And I remember I spilled a glass of milk on the table and he just went off. Right, he went off at me, and I thought, and his wife was like, no, just calm down, it does happen. I ended up not eating breakfast, I just got up, and then off we went, and then I remember I didn't tell anyone. Only up until right at the end of play on that Sunday, and I was like, this is what happened last night. Got home, got, got to the place where this house at about three o'clock. I didn't sleep. I woke up and this, he was abusing me on the way there and everything else. 
and I, I remember I was just in tears most of the time and and I almost wanted to give up playing cricket and I thought no what am I doing if if it's not meant for us being black then might as well right and then and then so I kept quiet the entire day and then only at the end of play and I remember telling I think I must have told Jordan Nicole um I think Hoffman was there, if you remember Andre Hoffman. Very well, yeah. <clears throat> I think Hoffie was there, um, and then I told him the story, and then everybody was like, no, you can't, that can't, that's not right, and everything else. And I was like, yeah, believe it or not, it did happen last night. And uh, immediately I got on the phone, I phoned um, Jade Nichols' dad, who's a communal selectors, and all he said to me, don't worry, Vasi, I will sort it out. My apologies. And that was the last thing I heard from him. No one to say, uh, okay, fine, they will apologize or whatever it is. But so that's what happened. And so I almost gave up all of it. Um, so it was that abuse and everything else, and it, which was not nice. So I wouldn't say that if, if it all happened because I was young, I was... Apart from that extreme abuse and on my side, um, I might have been naive to pick out certain things because as a young kid, I just wanted to be on the field and play cricket. Yeah, yeah, um, if it did happen, I wouldn't have actually pointed out as to when. Every now and again, I'll be honest with you, every now and again, people do pass on some comments. Um, but we've sort of like grown to brush things away. Yeah. Yeah, in that regard. Yeah, but it was not nice. Um, so for me, it's what happened before I got to play my debut. It was not, um, if it was there, I wouldn't have actually picked it up. Gosh, it, 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 feel, yeah. it, it, it makes me personally feel like, like I want to apologize to you, and yet I never did anything of that nature, but it just makes me feel that I need to be apologizing to you on behalf of, of every white person, I, I mean, how were you? How were you able to? How were you able to um, to uh, continue your trust? You know, so for example, you, you're now in the side, which then, you, as you said, there were predominantly white players, um, and, and a lot of them, a couple of them, I, I think, were from farming backgrounds, so they could just as easily have brought up many issues. Now, luckily, that that didn't happen, but. Was it just that passion and the pride that, that you've alluded to that kept you going and, and that said, look, these people have said these things. I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to prove to you that I am worthy of playing for the team, not because of my color, but because I'm good enough to be representing my country. Um, honestly, part of that kept me going, um, wanting to do well. But it was more the passion for the game that you know, kept me going more of that than anything else and also like you said earlier on that it's it makes life a lot easier when you've got your friends next to you so I used to hang around a lot with Stuart and Tatenda and the times when Hamilton was there as well so we used, we hung around a lot together um, so we were like a group right of us so that on its own cushioned off a lot of things that would actually happen. Um, if some of the white guys tried to get to us or anything it was, I think at the time Tatina was dealing with a lot of that as he was, you know, each and closer to become the captain at the time, you know, he was um, 
you know, he was in the picture a lot earlier and more first than us. You know, so I think if anything, he was more heavily involved with the communication side of things in, in, on that front. So in a way, it made it a lot easier for me because we hung together as a group. Yeah. And as I said, you kind of like grow to brush those things away. You kind of like grow to, you know, take care of what you can and leave out the things that you can't control. So, and being the, the minority at the time, you, we just felt like, no, I can't, I can't do this or I can't say this. I can't be hanging around them or something like that, you know? And we just try and keep it simple. Well, it also being young at the time, I didn't see the need in actually, or rather going out for a drink with them or, you know, go out for dinner with them unless it's a team event. A team function. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Vusi, oh, um, wow, I knew this would be a good conversation. Uh, this is very, very deep, and, and it, it's a part of our history. So, you know, people will try and say, get over it, or it's behind you. But it's a part of history that needs to be spoken about in order to move on. So what we've now done is we've spoken about the, the sad part of the history. Now we're going to just briefly mm -hmm. talk about the happier side of things. I'd, I'd like you to tell me about some of the happy memories you've had as a team, some of those the, the wins that you had or even just some of the games that are very close to your memory that were very special when you represented Zimbabwe? Mm. Um, well, there, there are a few, I would say, but there's, if there's one that really stands out the most is the 2007 T20 World Cup in oh, South Africa yes. when we beat Australia. Yes. Um, opening the batting, um, again, facing Britley and... You know, their bowling attack at the time was also quite extraordinary, I would say. Um, very, very challenging bowling attack. And I thought I did exceptionally well with the bat uh, to start off with. And the rest of the guys, as I said to you before, I think the confidence that you start with feeds off to the next guys coming in as well. Um, and I think the way I started off batting with a positive intent led us to chase down the, the score. Um, I think we chased down 130 odd or something. Yes, that's right. It was one of those um, tricky totals. Yeah, yeah, 130 odd in 20 overs. I was actually yeah, there. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's one of the games that stands out. And then, um, uh, I think there could be, a, well, you, you're quite good at these numbers, Steve, <laughs> so you, you might have to help me out here. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, there's, there's quite a few well, games. I would let say, me put it to you this um, way, Vusi. A game that I remember that I, that meant a lot to you was when Zimbabwe mm -hmm. won the one day series against Bangladesh in Bulawayo. Now, it was very special because it was locked at one match apiece, and you and Sean Williams managed to steer Zimbabwe over the line. You scored uh, your, yes. your 100. Yeah, you're quite right. Uh, that was very right. special. Now I remember. Yeah. I, funny enough, um, so it turns out myself and Sean, we got on pretty well off, yeah. on and off the field. And we still do now, yeah. uh, even though we don't talk much. <laughs> he's, now, he's now a family man, so which is good. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember clearly. We played. I think we played a couple of games in Arari, and then we moved to Bulawayo. Right. Right. And and I don't think I played a game in Arari at the time. I missed out. 
Um, I missed out a game in Harare, and then I played the second game, and then I finished off. No, it was a three, what what three happened was it was three it was a, the so three one day internationals in that were played in Bulawayo. In Bulawayo yes, so the, with the test series was played mm-hmm. in Bulawayo. That's mm-hmm. what happened, mm-hmm. and then we played the three one day internationals and the two T twenties uh, down in Bulawayo. So the test series in Harare, and then the limited over series down in Bulawayo. Right. Yeah. 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 So I remember. Um, yeah, I, I was having a shock of the time in Harare, and. Um, we came down to Buloyo, and <clears throat> with the bat, I, I don't know, everything just clicked. Every single game that I played against Bangladesh, everything just clicked. Um, and I remember I was on about, I think I was in 96, I think, and we needed something like six runs to win. Yeah, we needed something like six runs to win, and Sean was in strike, and he walked up to me, he goes, pussy, I'm going, to, I'm going to crush this for four. And I looked at him and I started laughing. I was like, if you do that, <laughs> you're never going to hear the end of this. You know, and <laughs> so we had a giggle. And I remember, I think he got an inside edge. And and it went for, it went for, th- we, we ran three or something because um, it went down to fine leg or something like that. And then we ran three. And then and then I got a boundary to get a hundred or something. I, I can't remember exactly, but I do remember Sean. He, he did. He almost did something silly in that game. And um, it, yeah, so it was good fun um, the way we finished off. But um, yeah, you're quite right. It, it, it meant a lot to me because having gone through a rough time prior to that uh, made it even more special to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it reminded me. So there was a game back in 2000 at the same venue. Zimbabwe, again, locked at one match apiece against New Zealand. Now, Alistair Campbell is scoring beautifully. Along comes Guy Whittle and promptly scores 28 not out of 12 deliveries and leaves poor Alistair Campbell stranded on 99. And I thought, you cannot, you cannot be serious. This they, isn't going to happen again. Do happen, they, they do happen. They do happen. And it's amazing that when you're in the moment, you don't, you don't think of it. And in his, unless you're mentally um, strong, where you can just block a half volley or, you know, something like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was actually quite pleased that I got that 100 on that particular day. And it, it was more special, um, especially against Bangladesh, because I do remember Bangladesh was actually starting to come up there. Cricket was improving at the time yes. a lot at a rapid pace as well. Uh, and I mean, you look at Bangladesh now, they're playing good cricket consistently as well. So, you know, and we've always known Bangladesh that they would actually give us a good challenge, especially in their backyard. So coming into ours, it felt, you know, I felt it more, you know, having done well under, you know, home crowd. Yeah, absolutely. We better conclude with you. I tell you what, we could talk all day. And uh, Canberra being eight yeah. hours ahead, I'm sure you're getting a bit tired. But um, just, just briefly. So, how do you? Uh, are you pretty much done now? Have you unofficially retired from cricket, or do you hope that at the young tender age of 37 that you could maybe still get a look in? Or are you quite happy to step aside for the youngsters now to take over? <clears throat> oh, look. I mean. It's a question that everybody keeps asking me. So why aren't you playing? Well, do you still want to play? Yeah. Well, it, it's unfortunate that in Zim, you know, you kind of like just go quietly. 
you know, some people do, some some don't, you know. Um, I think for me, it is a good time that I just, you know, step aside and give an opportunity for the younger guys to come up and, you know, you know, um, showcase their talent. Um, I think I've done my part, you know. I'll still be involved in cricket, uh, you know, give back. Um, given the opportunity, I will certainly give back because it still is my passion and it will always be my passion. Um, but it's been a hard road, um, good and bad, to be honest with you. It is, I fought hard when, you know, and I've disappointed many people and I've also put some smiles on many people at the same time. So um, when you ask me that, you know, given a chance, um, no, I, I don't think... I'll be at that, to be honest. Um, yeah, for me, it's just for fun now. Um, yeah, I think it's high time the younger guys to get a crack and um, see how they go. Are you happy with the state of Zimbabwe cricket? Do you feel that there is a way back? Do you, do you feel that the current administrators are capable of getting Zimbabwe cricket back on the map again? Um. If I say I'm happy with the state of Zimbabwe cricket, um, I think I'll be lying. You know, there are some challenges that Zimbabwe cricket are facing. And I'd like to think that they're doing everything in their power to rectify those. Um, as to where cricket is going in Zimbabwe, you know, it's a big challenge. You know, um, there's not many crickets uh, internationally being played. And it is a concern for me, you know, honesty, that if you don't get to play um, against good sides, it's always going to be a challenge moving forward anyway um, in any um, aspect of things. Um, I would like to see more being done to develop the game. Um, I know the, there are plans in place and I know that you know they, they are doing certain things to, to get things going. Um, but whether they action them out or not, I am not sure. I, I'm not on the ground at the moment to actually comment much on that. Of course. So I wouldn't know, yeah. Um, but the state of it all, to be honest with you, is is looking rather bleak yeah, for my liking, um, purely because in the last four or five years, if not more, it just hasn't been looking good with lack of games, um, you know, players coming in and leaving, a lot of people leaving, you know, um, you know, they, they, it just leaves, you know, it, there's a bare patch that needs to, that needs some serious attention. And it, it is a concern for me. Fusi Muzi Sibanda, thank you very, very much indeed for your time. Uh, we've really, we did enjoy the entertainment that you gave us. Yes, yeah, I mean, I understand that you say you may have disappointed some people, but you certainly also put smiles on faces that Vusi Sibanda cover drive was the best in the business in Zimbabwe when you were at the peak, although your pull shot wasn't too bad either, let me tell you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for taking time out to be on the DNAT Stumps podcast. It has been uh, an absolute honor and privilege. We've laughed together. We've now cried together as well. And uh, thank you. Thank you for opening your heart and thank you for just being as honest as you always have been throughout your life. Wishing you nothing but the very best. Thank you very much, Dean. And thank you for having me. Well, I hope um, all goes well. And um, I hope I saved my peace. And yeah, um, 
Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast.